say things like this. I was in Sri, Sri Lanka last week <laughs> and I attended this uh, Upasampada ceremony where 46 uh, Sri Lankan Samaneras took the, the bhikkhu uh, ordination. And so that's always, this, this is like being born, I think there's something kind of inspiring and, and uplifting about of going forth or taking on a particular this particular form as a as a way of uh, living as a lifestyle and as for developing awareness and in a, a traditional country like Sri Lanka which is you know the kind of home of Theravada Buddhism it it was very kind of also inspiring to be invited from here from England. Five of us went there uh, on invitation to join in this uh, event. So there's the Sri Lankan, the Mahanayaka Chandasiri, and and then the the uh, the uh, Sri Lankan bhikkhus and then five of us. And right now, at this time, Sri Lanka is going through rather, you know, difficult times as, uh, as monks get into political, taking political sides, and they're even, you know, uh, they even have become members of parliament. So, and then this always brings up issues of, uh, you know, that create resentments and doubts and problems in people's minds. So I felt that the ordination that we attended, uh, the uh, Bhikkhu Nyanananda was very, has very kind of pure intention and is very clear in his vision of, even though he's, he's, he's now, he was a Samanera up till last week when he became a Bhikkhu, but he's also a, a quite a famous teacher, Dhamma teacher in, in Sri Lanka. So I felt that this was a, like a, it's a kind of almost like a revival of something in, in the history of any institution. It's, you know, religious institutions become rather threadbare after a while, and they they uh, become per perfunctory and ceremonial very easily. And then there's always those uh, cases where somebody begins to awaken to the the practice and the the true meaning, the essential meaning of of the Buddha Dhamma, and start you know br bringing that back into consciousness. Uh, my experience in Thailand was like that with Lung Po Cha. Felt he brought this. You know, he was a very positive force in the development of Theravada Buddhism in Thailand because he. He brought this the spirit back into the form. It was not just the kind of dead form or empty form, but the, sometimes the spirit goes out of it. So all our intention in in, uh, in 
for our monastic commitment is to is with that sense of bringing you know the spirit into the form not try to let the form dominate the spirit what i mean by spirit is is merely a an english word but it conveys a sense of you know awakeness of uh, wisdom of you know really putting your uh, your whole attention into 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 your life and of course this uh, we can live in very you know life in very half measures just going through the motions of uh, getting up in the morning eating going to bed at night and uh, going to work and relating in in just habitual ways and the human beings were easily we can easily be caught in just perfunctory habits and behavior. And it's when we awaken that, that the spirit we bring, we, the spirit arises in us, suddenly this sense of awakened attention. At least that's how I experience it. This, this confidence that comes through paying attention And not just in the sense of paying attention to some object or some something out there, but attention on the on this wide spectrum of awareness, which includes everything. So, from the uh, what one's feeling internally, your own emotional <coughs> feelings of the moment, thoughts, uh, energies, physical uh, state, whatever. <coughs> as well as the objects that one is experiencing through through the senses. So that's the spirit. You know, when when I when I become dull and dead and depressed and and my life becomes meaningless, it's when I sink into into the momentum of habit. Just get lost in the in the power of my emotional habits. Forms themselves, you know, whether they're you know thoughts, forms, structures. All these are, you know, they 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 have no spirit of their own, and so if we just attach to forms. And identify with them, then we, we, you know, then we become we we take on the the forms themselves, but they're they're all forms that have no purpose or no meaning. They just arise and cease, and they, and so they're they're not uh, they're not the you know no matter how refined you may be able to to be in terms of mental psychic experience, it's still a form, a condition that is dependent on other conditions for, exi- for its existence. So then we ask ourselves right now, what is it that doesn't depend on anything at this moment? So it's a way of self-inquiry, isn't it? You're kind of questioning and and observing, and then what? What I find in this moment is the awareness. That isn't that is that's something that that's a natural state. I don't create. It's not a, like a samadhi, which which is uh, dependent on conditions and and is a form in itself. But it is the ability that each one of us, human beings, human individuals, uh, can recognize or realize that is a natural state of being but isn't created. We don't create mindfulness. <coughs> I remember in my when I started practicing meditation before I ordained I started in uh, I started practicing in uh, one of the temples in Bangkok and uh, 
they talked a lot about mindfulness, sati and samadhi, and uh, of course I, I didn't really know what mindfulness was. I just, uh, you know, I kind of thought I understood the word, but uh, I didn't really, I didn't recognize it. And so I, I formed an opinion about mindfulness, like I have to develop mindfulness, I have to become mindful. I'm not mindful enough and I should be more mindful and the thinking mind creates a, a definition and a form out of mindfulness. And that's why I keep emphasizing here that mindfulness is, isn't something that you, you try to get. You know, if you conceive it as something, then you've, then you've already made it into a form. It's, you know, it's when you stop conceiving, when you just trust in attention. So for me, that attention is as this, I, I experience very much as a kind of listening. And I just open my myself to just listening, to being to this natural state of being. Which I don't I don't when I try to make myself mindful then it doesn't work anymore. I'm caught in the in another, you know, in a in an idea about me trying to trying to get something called mindfulness. So it's a recognition of it in in when we um experience when we when we practice meditation we have different techniques and uh anapanasati we have mantras chanting uh, meditation on the body and and various ways of developing awareness around objects so in the satipatthana you have the mindfulness of the body mindfulness of the feeling the vedana mindfulness of mental states, citta, and tamanupasana, dhamma. So mindfulness itself is, is, the, is the way to, the, to realizing dhamma. The word dhamma, of course, is, is 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 a, is a, only a word, but it's pointing to reality now, the way it is. And so that is an intuitive experience, the way it is right now. You know, if I want to define the way it is right now, my mind, you know, I can't, you know, I start looking around and, and grasping various things that I see or hear or experience. But in, in an intuitive in the intuitive present, then there's no need to grasp anything but just trust in this open attention. An inner poise, uh, receptivity. And and uh, and the best way to recognize that is through is the sense of relaxing, of being. I'm not trying to to get anything, but but trusting in just paying attention to this moment, both in terms of not trying to find anything, but being open and receptive. Now, when you conceive that again, you'll find yourself struggling with it. No, so any kind of references to it is always uh, counterproductive in a way <laughs> because people grasp the, the teachings and the words and, and that of teachers. In the Buddha's uh, teaching in the scriptures then these are skillful means but they're always pointing, they're not in themselves, meant to be grasped, but to be their directional signs. And where are they point? They're pointing always to here, to the present. So in in Tamanupasna Satipatthana, 
mindfulness and Dhamma. And then we we use something quite basic like dukkha or suffering for its noble truth. And that uh, is the is the kind of recognition, opening and receiving your own frustration or sorrow or loneliness or sadness or anxiety, whatever, whatever in, in both physically or emotionally. And we can see that the worldly life is based on the pursuit of happiness. You know, like, like the uh, uh, modern life in the in the West is very much the trying to find as much happiness as you can get from from this form this this condition. So the pursuit of happiness is uh, certainly understandable. We all like to be happy and prefer happiness to suffering. And happiness is certainly a lot better than suffering. <laughs> and happiness is desirable. You know, there's no question of that. Uh, happiness is pleasure. And uh, so that one, you know, naturally inclines to, to be looking, searching for safety, for happiness. And then the, in the process, then we, we resist and we try to get rid of unhappiness or suffering. So just noticing it from my own experience, speaking from, from experience. The, the, uh, when I was a layman, I did spend a lot of time seeking happiness. And so it, uh, pleasure, happiness, excitement, any these, these kind of conditions that... Uh, you know, excite the mind, make you feel alive and and uh, are pleasant, pleasurable experiences in themselves. But then the more I kind of, the more happiness I sought after and the more happiness I had, the, it one became increasingly more desperate to have more of it. And so it, there was never, never seemed to be any, any way out of that trap of just running around looking for more happiness because happiness in this sense you know doesn't last you can't sustain it it depends on conditions coming together where you feel happy or pleasure or safety certainty security so then um, becoming a Buddhist monk the uh, Emphasis was on suffering. And of course, like taking precepts, isn't it? You're, you're limiting your, you know, your, the pursuit of happiness is much more limited as, a, as an anagarika. You don't have all the options uh, available to if you don't take any precepts. Uh, so recognize that, that it, one can easily assume that that monastic life is a kind of asceticism, you know, where we, we've uh, we're seen happiness as, as uh, something we should resist and deny and control. And, and uh, so we take on precepts that, you know, we can't do this, we can't do that, and you have to live within these boundaries, behavior and so forth within these specified boundaries. And that's one way of looking at it when you, when you think. But when the Buddha pointed to dukkha or suffering, then this is, it's not that, that, that the, the restraint of monastic form is suffering. But when we're used to, to not having any boundaries on behavior and, and seeking happiness, then we create suffering about the restriction being restrained or not being able to get what we want or do what we want to do. But then the <coughs> insight 
into suffering is to understand it rather than just indulge in suffering. In Buddhist terms, asceticism is the indulgence in suffering, like flagellating yourself or torturing yourself in order to, you know, have some idea of purifying yourself through, through uh, persecuting yourself, harming yourself in some way, denying yourself. The Buddha was very clear in that his, his way is called the middle way, the Majjhima Bhattipatthara, which is a, it's not sense, uh, indulgence in happiness nor, nor uh, in asceticism, but in awareness. So in awareness, the, as we begin to recognize and appreciate this is a natural state. It's, it's, it's available to all of us. It's not a, a, a kind of, of a special specialty that, that I've developed through all these years as a monk. It's just that before I didn't, I didn't really know what it was. I had so many views and opinions, so many uh, fixed kind of uh, ways of looking at everything, habits formed, and as you get older, you get very set in the way you perceive things and see yourself or other other people, the world we live in. So uh, during these these years as a monk, the reflection on suffering also is accompanied by seeing how things really are. At this moment, at this present moment, whatever you're feeling uh, emotionally or thinking or uh, physical sensation or through sight, sound, smell, taste, touch, it's in the, it's in, when you really pay attention, it's in the, it's natural in the state of change. So with vipassana, then this is the observing, witnessing of change. So in terms of dhamma, then we're we're looking at the way things are. All conditions are impermanent. I repeat that over and over and over. We think we understand it because we we can, you know, we've got the idea. But the reality of change. Uh, is isn't isn't projecting uh, ideas of impermanence onto experience, but recognizing the ephemeralness, the evanescence of sensory experience, of mental, psychic, physical experience in the present. So, what does that do? You know, you that can that can that that includes all phenomena, which is both subtle and coarse, uh, high and low, good and bad, right and wrong. And now notice when we talk about right and wrong, good and bad, then we're back in another realm, in the realm of thinking, where we judge, pass judgment on, on experience. We say this is good and that's bad, this is right, that's wrong. So that's that's a, a function of thought. You know, we 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 have these according to our conditioned way, and that we we tend to make value judgments about experience, about ourselves, about other beings, about politics, about whatever. So, like having a good meditation or a bad meditation. Somebody was telling me today about experience of having a good meditation and then the next day having a bad meditation. <laughs> and how, you know, the, that we all want to have good meditations and then, then when we have bad meditations we, we feel uh, we, we don't want that. We don't want to have, you know, frustrated, bad, unpleasant, restless, uh, negative states coming up no more. And if we've had a good meditation the previous day, then we can 
You think, oh, you know, bliss, and I suddenly felt this sense of peace and oneness, and it's so wonderful. So the next day, you sit on the mat, and you're waiting for something to happen. <laughs> Instead, you get, you know, sore knees and negative thoughts and restless, frustrated, bad meditation. But in terms of Dhamma, they're of equal value, isn't it? Good meditation, bad meditation, whatever, good and bad are impermanent states. They arise and cease. So this is where the, the discerning ability that we have through awareness, sakti and panya, in that panya is is being able is discerning. It's not it's not judging good meditation or bad. When we say good and bad, then we're into them into our thinking process and the way we we uh, we add that we you know bliss and happiness is good, restlessness and negativity is bad. So in changing from this way of from the thinking process the judging process to trusting in the awareness is not going into a trance but but being fully with the present and whatever conditions we experience you know whether they're they're positive or negative they are what they are in the present you know so like bliss is like this it's, it is what it is and no more is it, or, uh, am I inclined to say, oh, that's good meditation. Because then it, you know, I'm making it more than what it is. I'm putting good onto it. But bliss and peace and oneness is like this. And then rec restlessness, pain, sore knees, and frustration is like this. And the, I found is you keep reflecting in this way, you begin to trust your panya faculty more, this discerning ability, rather than your judging ability. Discernment can, uh, you know, is, is, it's, an, it's intelligent, but it's not a, it doesn't depend on language or definition. It's, that's why we, I call it an intuition, because it's it's not something you acquire uh, and that you know you create, but it's it's a natural state, a universal intelligence, a direct knowing, a direct seeing that we forget about and ignore so much of our lives as we we get caught up in our views about what's good and what's bad. So this wisdom faculty is not highly developed in anywhere, I don't think. <laughs> because, you know, the, our civilization especially has been very much one to develop the, the uh, discrimination uh, the the critical faculties. The modern education is all about developing the critical faculties and being able to analyze and compare and, uh, you know, define things, figure everything out, have all the answers to all the questions, and that's one function of mind, and I'm, I'm not despising that or, or condemning it, because it's, it's very, you know, it's a great gift in itself. But as an end in itself, it isn't liberating, because uh, we, you know, you, the experience is not going to fit into those definitions, those thoughts, those those uh, structures that we create, our judgments. 
all we can do is keep frustrating ourselves. So, uh, with meditation, is is really returning. You know, like Lungpa Chai just called it, our, our going home is one metaphor. Our natural home, where we where we are completely, you know, free from wandering in the samsara, or that means being caught up in the endless changing movement of the five khandhas, or the conditioned phenomena. So then when I talk like this, then people can say, well, you know, it's difficult. And that's another judgment, isn't it? And I can't do it, it's too difficult. And that's, then, then we're coming from this sense of, I'm somebody who can't do it because it's difficult. So I encourage you to, whatever you think about yourself, to listen. You know, so, you know, I train myself to just listen. I can't do it, it's too difficult. I begin to, you know, I recognize this. Is I'm creating the sense of I'm somebody who finds it difficult. And that's, that's uh, you know, uh, that's a creation. I'm adding that to the moment. Once I begin to see through that, then I, then I begin to recognize or realize this natural state of, of awareness, which has no, which isn't personal, not mine. And it has nothing to do with being easy or difficult. It is, it's, it's learning to trust in this direct knowing the way things are. We all have to deal with our, the way we are as individuals. Our vipaka kama, in other words. So, each one of us is a different, you know, is a different vipaka kama at this present moment. And uh, so that is where we, when we identify with that, then I become Ajahn Samedo and you, you become whoever you identify with. And so that's a creation. You know, I create Ajahn Sumedho onto this. This I'm Ajahn Sumedho is a, I create that. But before I become Ajahn Sumedho, there's, what's that? And, it's, it, and, and through this inquiry, you begin to recognize and, and appreciate. This is something to really you know, if you're into devotion and faith and trust, then this is what you can really trust. And treasure is awareness. So when, when I bow to the Buddha Rupa, you know, somebody after the meal was talking about bowing to, you know, performing the, the pujas and bowing three times in front of the Buddha Rupa and what, what all this, what is the value of this? And of course, you know, these are, you know, how, how, do, how do we, how do I, uh, you know, do I bow to a, to a golden image? Do I project onto that image that there's something, that kind of Buddha inside or Am I just doing it out of because it's part of Theravada custom, or, or is it just a, a way of being mindful, using the body in a in a way in a when you when you train in a convention like this, then you adopt the forms, and they can be you know one. It's easy to just go through the forms because the, you're supposed to <coughs> out of duty or out of fear of being rejected from the community if you don't follow the form, or how to use the form for awareness. 
So when I bow to the Buddha Rupa, it's for awareness. Because the Buddha then isn't something I'm creating in my mind, in some, some idea of Buddha, some defined, some definition, some historical uh, sage, or some deity, or something. It is the, the awareness. So in terms of a physical body in the present, you know, why not bow? This is how I think anyway. It's, a, it's, a, it's a, an act uh, that is non-aggressive, isn't it? You're putting your head down on the floor, which means you're in a very vulnerable state. You know, if one is, you know, if, if you're arrogant, you hold your head up high and, and won't bow to anything. You put your head down on the floor, then you're, you're making yourself quite vulnerable. But also the motion and so forth, it's an act of devotion, but not out of just kind of belief in, in the power of the convention, but in actually uh, through awareness. What is Buddha? If I'm bowing to the Buddha Rupa, then but the Buddha is here. It's the awareness. The Buddha knows the Dhamma, the way it is. The convention itself is just a vehicle for life, you know, living within the, in the human form, in a, in a community. Sangha always implies, you know, the word Sangha means community. So, Tomorrow is the birthday of uh, Ajahn Chah, and this is a this is another convention. Ajahn Chah died, and yet we're celebrating his birthday tomorrow. <laughs> and so we we put a, uh, this shrine here, and we've got the the effigy of Lung Po Chah over there. And I even in my kutia have uh, relics of Ajahn Chah, his ashes. And so, what is Ajahn Chah right now? In terms of, for me, you know, in terms of right now, the, the word Ajahn Chah, for somebody that, that's never heard the word before, and this might sound like some, you know, foreign name of, of somebody. <coughs> maybe it doesn't mean anything but uh, in terms of you know right now for me as I can reflect from my own experience at this moment it's uh, this, this name Ajahn Chah brings up uh, in me uh, positive feelings because he was uh, you know to me very wise, uh, important uh, teacher. And, and so I have memories now. I can remember many, many of my memories around my experience living with Ajahn Chah in Thailand. There are memories in the present. So Ajahn Chah is a memory. So putting that into, into that context of the five khandhas, you know, Sanya Kanda. But I'm not dismissing this and saying it's only a memory and, 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 and then, then I'm projecting the idea of that onto the moment. It's not a, uh, a kind of dismissal of, say, the importance of Ajahn Chah's birthday or just, you know, belittling it, but in recognizing at this moment when I when I'm thinking right now Ajahn Chah that is uh, that is a Sanya Kanda, that is a condition arising. See, I don't always all through the day and night think of think about Ajahn Chah. But on birthdays, isn't it it's very I find it very it, you know, something in me wants to think about. There are times, you know, in through the year that one really likes to think about, I really want to and appreciate 
thinking about Ajahn Chah. Because when somebody's been very important in your life, then their memory brings up to me a lot of uh, gratitude. So I, when I think of Lung Po Chah, then I, I feel this, I feel this uh, incredible gratitude as a result of just thinking that, that thought. Well, gratitude then is a is a very lovely experience, but it's also impermanent. I'm not always feeling grateful all every moment of my life, but when the conditions for gratitude are there, then this is what I'm feeling. And so, the, in when when somebody dies, isn't it? This our mothers, fathers, or friends, or pet, cat, or dog, or whatever, goldfish canary, <laughs> whatever, <laughs> the, you know, that we've had some very positive relationship with, uh, you know, then we feel this sadness about their, their passing or their death, separation. That's noted too, that's natural. When, when you've felt uh, a lot of, uh, you know, emotional uh, connection with somebody, or some creature, then the separation is always a, this sense of loss and grief or sadness at separation. But now, when I think of Ajahn Chah, I don't think of, I don't feel sad in, and or, or grief. That, that kind of, that experience happened when he, when he died. But and now there's uh, the, what, what's left with me now is is this sense of gratitude, and uh, this is a very this is a, this is an emotion I really like. You know, it's a, it's a heart. It's like a heartfelt experience. Brings a kind of a sense of pity, uh, rapture into consciousness. An awareness of this, not getting lost in, in kind of indulging in, in sentimentality. It's not that, because then that that isn't that's then one is is indulging in in by attaching for seeking a pleasurable feeling all the time. So when when it becomes sentimental, then I, it's like indulging, and I go, "No, oh, you're such a wonderful," and go on and on and on and on like that. And I'm so grateful that that can be quite maudlin and uh, silly. <coughs> but it's this awareness then that 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 has the the that will allow things to be what they are without indulging in in the pleasure of an experience or in denying it or resisting it one I, you know i always feel grateful for having met somebody like that and uh, somebody that really you know helped me had an important kind of effect you know very positive very powerful influence on my consciousness. <clears throat> In our lives we meet people like that. We have opportunities. You know, this the Buddha, the historical Buddha also. When I think of Gautama, the Buddha, also this gratitude arises. It's, it's a positive feeling. The heart opens up to the universe, where the the selfish feeling is is an, you know when I go back into the habits of my ego and my the sense of myself as identified with the five khandhas, I close down i 'm not open anymore i'm i 'm shut into the tight box of of the limitations that I create about myself as a person. And they're not very pleasant, I'll tell you. 
to be Ajahn Sumedho as a person is not, is not, you know, is not something I recommend. <laughs> so whether, you know, how, you know, that's why it's uh, encouragement to, re- to listen to yourself, but not in a critical way, not to, you know, in some judgmental way, because I used to, you know, my personality tends to be critical. So it's it's always judging things, <coughs> and so I, and and myself, you know, as a person, I can be very critical of myself, and it just goes on and on. No matter, you know, it's just, it's just conditioned to do that. That's the way I've developed uh, as a person. So uh, that I don't believe in anymore. My is the personal habits still rise in consciousness, but they don't have, I don't believe in them anymore. I don't resist them or deny them, but they are what they are, and no longer do they, they take me over. Sometimes they do, but increasingly less and less. So I've had, you know, like, like just, just uh, last week or something, some, something just, uh, you know, when I was in Sri Lanka and, and uh, just, uh, you know, the, conti- the, the kind of insights that one gets all the time through just, through just uh, awareness, uh, the, you know, it became so apparent, you know, every, this, this va- these judgments about myself became meaningless, like the, all that kind of sense of me and mine and the emotional grip it had on consciousness wasn't there. You know, so the, the thinking mind could think, but it didn't, but it, somehow it, it was just like, you know, the, the nattering of somebody just talking this way and that. And it didn't, you know, one wasn't interested in it anymore. In the Upasambhada ceremony, it took two days to, to go through the, have the ordination for 46 uh, samaneras. And it's very hot in Sri Lanka at this time. So, he's sitting there with a lot of mosquitoes around <laughs> in the heat. Very, un, you know, uncomfortable physically. And uh, and I was just watching that, you know, because the the situation itself was inspiring. You know, you're seeing these these young men. Uh, you know, they're quite committed to a lifetime as bhikkhus. Sri Lankans aren't so easily easy to disrobe. You know, they tend to take it quite seriously, <laughs> and most of them were quite young you know, in their 20s. So, you think, you know, this is very inspiring to see the the faith and the the kind of joy that was present in that ordination theme. And, uh, but then at the same time, physically, you know, knees are hurting, and you're in this kind of sticky, sweatiness <laughs> and uh, and you've been sitting for hours and you're getting very restless and you just you know and I then the and the and the mental state uh, when is it going to end when are they going to have a break <laughs> and we're listening to it more like n- not really caring about it anymore and uh, somehow there's like a detachment from from the uh, from the physical experience and yet the mind could natter on about, oh, it's too hot, or, you know, the complaining ways. But it, it didn't have the, the grip. No, so it was just, you know, one, the, the conditions were there for, for this as experience, both the inspiring sense of this ordination, supasampada, the goodness and the purity of intention, all these very 
they're kind of inspiring conditions were there. At the same time, for physical comfort, there wasn't much going. <laughs> and yet it didn't make any difference because in awareness, then both, you know, it isn't a matter of choosing and, and just trying to ignore the physical discomfort by by getting by by just resisting it and trying to to uh, hold on to the inspiring mental states, but being able to receive both because with awareness it it, it has you know it receives uh, in this in this way both belong and if this is the way it is the conditions for physical discomfort and for emotional happiness were coexisting at the same moment. So then this is, you know, this, what's that all about? But the refuge then is in the awareness. It couldn't be in the body. It couldn't be in the, uh, in the uh, inspired emotion. But they also, they are what they are. You know, the, the inspiration is this way and the physical aggravation is this way. And that, that which knows that is discerning but not judging. It's not, you know, it becomes, I don't like to feel like this physically. Then I'm putting, you know, I'm, I'm compounding it. I'm making it into something more than what it is. Or just being carried away with inspiration. Then, then I'm, I'm creating it into more than what it is. So the refuge then is the awareness. Always get back to that. I've, this day has been ringing bells at the wrong time, hasn't it? <laughs> Second time. <laughs> so I want to welcome Eduardo into, into the Sangha. And... Uh, any way I can help? Don't be afraid to ask for my guidance or help or whatever. And uh, wish you all the best. May, may this year's Anagaraka be one of uh, increasing wisdom. Stop here.